What's going on, everybody? I shake to all my people out there. Welcome to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective. This is the podcast we give our point of view of controversial topics from my experience, black history, and our knowledge as African Americans. Black history presently lives in us so we can continue to excel into the future. It's one thing to know black history. It's another thing to take advantage of what the people in black history did for you. I am your host, Martre Baker-Stevens, and to the right of me is Shaquan Battle. Yep. And to the right of him is Jerome Battle. What's up? Uh, we appreciate all the love and support that we've been getting on social media, all the people who've um, watched the YouTubes, all the people who've commented, all the people who've supported. Um, uh, words can't express on how grateful we are to begin to just bring conversation to people bring thought to people for them to begin to begin to start thinking differently into a different perspective um not thinking in the box not thinking out of the box but thinking as if the box doesn't exist um how are y'all good everybody's good mine's clear rest in peace um to all of the the kids that were and the teachers that were killed during the um last school shooting Rest in peace to all of the people that were killed in the Buffalo shooting. Um, our heart goes out to you, uh, your families. And that's just an unfortunate thing that um, that we in America are still dealing with because no other country is dealing with what we're dealing with. You know what I mean? Uh, important topic today. We're going to get into um, just the medical the importance of having black people in the medical field and the history of black people in the medical field uh just give me y'all analysis of when you did your research on this topic on what do you think about the importance of african americans being in the medical profession in the nursing profession um the physician uh dietary profession all of those things it's a big gap it's a it's a big gap between uh, minorities and white America in the nursing field. And <clears throat> I didn't realize how big of a gap that was until this research, but um, it's important because we see, you know, a lot of times our kids inspire to be athletes, uh, rappers, all of those things you see black people being successful in. But you never see kids say, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I want to be an LPN. They don't, because we don't see enough people in those fields. And I think if we did see more people in those fields, our health would be better. Uh, you, you actually just said something key. You said LPN um, and not CNA. Right. We're, we're very heavily in the CNA, but exactly. LPN and RN, not so much. A lot of the disparity is based on education and finances. Yeah. So, um, CNA course versus going to school to be a RN or LPN, um, huge difference. Yeah. You know, but one of the reasons why it's important is exactly what you said is we need to see more people of color in those positions. The same thing we talk about with educators and um, politics and business owners. Same same concept. But, but also that the African is nurturers by, by nature, mm-hmm. right? That's what we do. We nurture. And in doing slavery, um, the slave masters and their wives felt it was beneath them to nurture other people, let alone nurse them. So they would often get the slaves to do that. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, too, is that. Um, we were kind of forced into it. A lot of times they would have, they call them the mistress of the of the uh, slave master, which mistress mean that they had a choice. They didn't have a choice. They were being forced by their rapists, basically, mm-hmm. to nurture the, the children and anybody who got sick in that household. But then also, as importation of slaves started to decrease, they figured the new slave trade would be breeding slaves. Mm-hmm. So you had to have someone um, nurture the, the, the pregnant people, but also the, the kids once they, once they were born. And um, who better to do that than the people that didn't get paid for anything? You basically did what you were told. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that would have been the slaves. Absolutely. Um, let's get into a little bit of that that history that we talked about, um, because you know, like you talked about, that Africans are natural healers, and that come from the culture in Africa, the spirituality in Africa. Um, but we brought that from Africa across the Atlantic into um, into America. Uh, they never, they always had a, uh, a knowledge of plants and herbs. And if you look at the West African region, it's very similar to the mid-Atlantic region here in America. So a lot of those same plants that were there are here or at least similar. So they understood the plants, they understood the properties of those plants, and they understood how to take those uh, herbs to create uh, cures for diseases and sicknesses and mm. wombs and all of those type of things um, to the point where they would use like st- things like snake root, snake root to uh, cure high blood pressure. They would use uh, may apple to cure fevers. They would use something called uh, comfrey to be able to um, to be able to deal with uh, fevers and chills. They would use pine needles to deal with chest congestions and bad coughing. Uh, they would actually tie elderberry around um, kids' necks to to soothe teething. Um, I know people hate sage and the religious concepts of sage, but sage was always used as a healing um, instrument, not just uh, to burn, but to to eat, to use to to heal the body. Okra, you know, we look at okra in the African American community as some type of soul food, even though it is food that we place in our body for healing. It also, it's also a plant that can be used for medical purposes, right? Um, you look at all of those type of things that we will put into tea and create home remedies passed down from generation to generation from Africa to African Americans. And, you know, we use those type of things to detect, um, blood as they call it searching the blood to figure out what the problem is uh you think about the wombs and the hit uh and the sprains that they had from especially if you worked in the deep south with sugarcane i mean that's back-breaking work mm-hmm. that would that was very dangerous um cotton picking you know the sores that you can get on your hands these are the type of medical things that we needed to be able to uh perform at a high level on the plantation and take care of ourselves on the plantation because we were Coming across that Atlantic, we were um, high in capacity in uh, respiratory diseases like bronchitis, like tuberculosis, like whooping coughing, uh, those type of things that we uh, accumulated here in America that we had to treat. And like you said, a lot of times the white slave masters wouldn't call a physician. They would call that woman that knew how to heal, that understood plants. She understood the properties of plants. She understood how to make the herbal tea to... uh, to be able to begin to heal other people. Uh, childbirth, of course, with the midwives to soothe the uh, childbearing uh, pregnancies and the uh, even abortions. Let's be honest with you. Right. You know, a lot of women didn't want to have children by crow slave masters. They were raped by. So they would use these teas to, to create what we call plan B's today or abortions today. Um, all of these type of things were necessary, not just for African-Americans, but white people use them too until 1700s in Virginia. We know what happened in the 1700s in Virginia with the Nat Turner slave revolt. We know what happened in the 1700s with uh, Haiti. We understood that they used a lot of poisoning with these herbs and plants that scared white people. So, you know, Virginia ended up passing a law that, you know, African-Americans could not administer medicine because they were so afraid of these african-americans using this medicine but like i said it was a spiritual connection you know when you're in africa you're one with the plants you're one with the trees you're one with the water you're one with the earth and these type of things that you use for healing not as medicine but as food dieting all of these type of things what are y'all thoughts on that you go ahead yeah i i I agree you know um so the, the other thing is that um when it came to uh, taking care of children, mm-hmm. nurturing and uh, kids, is that when slaves had kids along the same time that slave masters' wives had kids, the slaves would have to breastfeed the slave masters' kids. Yeah. And at times, 
multiple kids and their kid would come last. The slave's child would come last. And at times it was situations where those kids didn't live because the mother could not, did not have enough breast milk to feed their own child mm-hmm. because they were feeding the, the children of the, the, the slave masters. Um, so uh, once again, that's, that's, that's us sacrificing for the sake of white America mm-hmm. um, with, with no remorse whatsoever from, from white America as to what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, in certain situations, it was even mandated that they do so. Mm-hmm. Um, you, yeah, you you jeopardize your child's life to keep to keep mine. That's the way it works. Mm-hmm. That's the value of a white life versus uh, a black life. Um, so we we you see very clearly when this began that we continue to see even today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even when you look at um, when you look at especially in the enslavement that, you know, not only did they, you know, um, help with the pregnancy, not only did they bring the child into the world by being the midwives, but they took care of the white kids growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the mistress of the house and the master of the house, they didn't raise the kid per se, you know, that kid was raised by black women. Um, they were nurtured by black women when they were sick. It was the black women who took care of the child. Um, but they were trained for generations, you know, going back into Africa where you would you would uh, travel to the next village to begin to deliver babies. And you would mm-hmm. teach your daughter how to do that. So when she get older, even on a slave ship, there were there were women that were pregnant and they would have girls that knew how to um, deliver a baby. Right. And even before they made it to the slave to the ships, they kept them in the dungeons. Yeah. And in the dungeons, um, of course, you you have. Um, feces and urine and you know everything everywhere and um, so of course you contracted a lot of diseases and in those situations and the black women were the nurturers and the nurses and Mm -hmm. they were the ones who tried to take care of everybody if you watch roots every time somebody got got whipped with the whip um, who came to the aid to Mm -hmm. assist them with the wounds Mm -hmm. Um, it was it was common practice because it's it's innately a part of who we are to be nurturers Absolutely. And midwifing was something that continued on even after enslavement, you know, especially in the South. They were really traditional about having that midwife there to deliver the babies. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you were black, you couldn't just go to a hospital. A lot of hospitals didn't accept or admit black people, whether you were pregnant or not. So you had to have a midwife to be able to deliver the baby. Uh, The North kind of changed a little bit when they started getting doctor's offices and hospitals. They were relying more on medical treatment and physicians than midwives. But the midwives in the South were making maybe two or three dollars um, in payment for delivering babies, um, those type of things that continued on. And, um, you were even starting to see a resurgence of that, the more people who want a midwife to deliver their baby. Because again, as we talked about on this podcast before, that's just so much mistrust when it comes to African-Americans and hospitals and the police department, anything that's dealing with an institution, there's just so much, um, so much that strains us away from each other. Um, but prominent people like uh, Mary Coley, uh, Oni Lee Logan, Margaret uh, Smith, all of these are midwives that basically ran their own um, midwife and business, I guess you want to call it. So, so it's debatable that, you know, a lot of people think that Florence Nightingale was the, the first nurse. Hmm. It's debatable because there are people like me who believe the first nurse was actually Mary Coley. Oh, of, of course, so, of course. And, and she created what they call, they were calling at the time, British hotels, mm-hmm. which during the um, Crimean War, um, actually Florence Nightingale and her both were nurses during this Crimean War time. And uh, she created these uh, British hotels, which was basically hospitals mm-hmm. to um, nurse, to nurse the, the wounded soldiers back to health so they could go back to go back to war. Mm-hmm. And uh, they called her the, um, what is it, the doctress? Um, because of her West African and Ghanaian um, 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 traditional way of treating um, people, using roots and herbs and all those good things, and uh, was very successful because she was also a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. So she was a nurse and a and a businesswoman. So, uh, you also have you know we we talked about Sojourner Truth on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We talk about Sojourner Truth just mm-hmm. being 
you know, an abolitionist, but she also was a nurse before what she was enslaved. And even after her enslavement, she uh, advocated for more nursing training for right. black females, especially in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, you had Susan King Taylor, who was a nurse during the Civil War and was exposed to a lot of smallpox, but still um, was treating so many soldiers. And then, of course, Harriet Tubman during the Civil War, you know, she even she was nursing um, soldiers during that time as well. Um, you also had Mary Mahoney, who was considered, you know, the first uh, licensed nurse, first African-American licensed nurse here in the in America. Um, people like James Durham, you know, James Durham was born a slave. That's right. And, and, you know, his slave owner happened to be a physician. And that's how he learned how to read and write and understand these medical terminologies to where he brought his freedom. And after he bought his freedom, he opened up his own medical uh, clinic to where he treated people a lot, a lot of high rated people That's that right. had uh, the yellow fever. But he didn't have a he didn't he didn't have a medical degree, though. No, he did so not have, he a, medical have a medical no, degree. No, did that without a medical That's degree. Right. The first person with a medical de degree is James Smith. James, right. James Smith uh, had a medical degree, which he actually got over there in Scotland because he could not do it in the United States. Mm -hmm. But he's the first black physician and the first African-American to establish his own pharmacy. And he also uh, wrote up in some uh, medical journals. That's right. Uh, Rebecca Lee Crumpler, you know, the first black woman physician in the United States. And she actually wrote a book about how uh, women and children, uh, medical advice for women and children. And um, even before them, how do you pronounce his name? One Simmons? Own, own, I don't know how you pronounce hmm. it, but he, it, he was the um, he was the one who first he developed the method of inoculation, which Onesimus. was Onesimus for um, smallpox. Mm -hmm. you yes. know, and that was seventeen twenty one. When you talk about the vaccine, that's right. right. So you take that. They asked him if he ever had smallpox, and he said he told him about the variolation that they would do in Africa, right. which you would take the pus from somebody that already has smallpox and put it into somebody that's completely healthy, put them into, into their uh, bloodstream. And that's how you create a vaccine. That's right. Um, but yeah, he, he's credited with that. And they used that a lot during the revolutionary war, even though some people at first in Boston didn't want to use that as a smallpox because it was information coming from an enslaved African. That's right. But uh, it definitely worked. And now you see the vaccine, the way they're rolling in today, Daniel Hale Williams, you know, he earned a medical degree and became um, a surgeon, but he also, um, he was, he couldn't practice at another, another hospital because it's uh because of the color of his skin. So he started the first black owned interracial hospital to where they train new doctors, uh, new nurses coming in. And he's the first person to uh, do open heart surgery. Somebody came in with a knife wound and he uh, repaired the sack around the heart and the first open heart surgery right there. And he's the first African-American cardiologist. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Solomon Fuller, you know, he did extensive research and the first person to write on extensive viewpoints on Alzheimer's disease. Um, but these are some of the things that African-Americans um, were doing in the medical field that right. a lot of times you, you will not hear about. In 1868, in Howard University, we talked about yes. HBCUs. Uh, you know, the first to have an African, to teach African-American, uh, Afro-American doctors. Mm -hmm. And it was open to black and white students and also women, mm -hmm. which was something that had not been done before in 1868. So. You know, black people are so welcoming. You know. we, we are. We are. We are. But that just goes back when you look at, just look at the history of nursing and doctoring and how important it, it was. Even if you look at where we live at in Bedford, you know, the, the black-owned pharmacy and medical clinic here in Bedford was always interracial. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? There was places where you can go and you could uh, get your medicine, have a Coke, and it was black and white, but there's just certain times where, you know, you're not able to have that um, transportation to white hospitals, especially before there was a hospital in Bedford for African-Americans, we they had to be transported all the way to Roanoke. That's right. You know what I mean? So you look at it, dying emergencies, you look at pregnancies on how that... Um, how that affects us as a black community that having a doctor and a nurse right there in your own community is important. Absolutely. Um, somebody like Marcus Garvey understood this, That's you know right. what I mean? With the UNIA, he created the, the black cross nurses in which they, um, they will go around in their own communities and they would serve 
African Americans that need needed assistance. So you know they would talk to them about their hygiene, talk to them about their diets, um, nurse them back to aid mm-hmm. for all of these type of things. Um, and he would train nurses. They would go to school from ages like it was open to anybody from ages like fourteen to like sixty to be in to train the next nurse right there in our own community because we couldn't we couldn't have assistance in those type of hospitals and those doctors' offices. I was also surprised at how many of these um, first time doctors and nurses came from the South, like even from Georgia, like some of the things that they were doing in Georgia this time, during this time in these highly, highly prejudiced states is still phenomenal. Yeah. Like um, the first school of record for black student nurses was established at Spelman College in Georgia in 18 in 1891, 1881. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that this is during the, right during the, G, the Jim Crow uh, mm-hmm. era and you had Spelman College continuing to teach black students um, at the professional level. Yeah, I think it's amazing. We're we're not only accepting, we're not only forgiving, we are resilient. Yeah. So even in despite of the fact that you're in one of the most prejudiced states in the United States, you still continue to thrive. First, you can stay, you continue to live there. Not everybody went to Chicago. Yeah. So you still had people who decided to still stay in Georgia, um, you know, after the Civil War and continue to build so that you could have black doctors coming from the South. Black nurses coming from the South. Yeah, I mean, and we, we can't disregard, like we talked about earlier, is the the knowledge of plants. Um, when you talk about, um, I think it's called whore ground that Africans used, um, which was used to basically remove some mucus to clear the airway from things like sore throat. And then you look at the things that somebody like a Dr. Sebi was talking about who did not have a medical degree, who, who was not, uh, did not have a, a, a PhD, but he's somebody that the African-Americans rely on for our health reasons, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. for our diet, for, um, he talked about clearing mucus mm-hmm. to begin to bring the body to, to health. And you just talk about these African-Americans, um, like uh, James Durham, who did not need a medical degree. That's you know, right. you talk about these things uh, on how knowledgeable we are because we're survivors and how we use things that's around us to begin to to heal, to begin to to be stronger and all of those type of things. But you can't ignore that ancestral passage of generation to generation that this is what my grandmother used. This is what my grandmother used. Those home remedies that we used, right? Those type of things. Um, the, the the other thing is in correspondence with what we've talked about before is a lot of these people we just mentioned you will never read about in history. No, not at all. The other thing you that came with this is unfortunately, with us being in the medical field, also came some terrifying medical research that we were the guinea pigs. Yeah. So they they used us for experiments for a lot of the the medical research. We were the ones they would let's see if this works. Yeah, abortions. Especially especially Stupid. pregnant women. Yeah. So abortions and anything that's related to gynecology. Yeah. Was sterilizing all Yeah, of black women being the experiment. Um and uh and not only did it not only did they use that for uh, scientific and medical advances, but these people that performed this, they got wealthy from doing that. Yeah. Um, so this is when we talk about this country being built on the backs of blacks. Yeah, this is a prime example, not necessarily the backs, but definitely built on things that they did to us. Um, and they got wealthy from it. Yeah. Um, not just from the advancements and what they learned, but just the fact that people were paying money for these things to be tested. Yeah. And they tested them on us. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people look at even current day on how some of this stuff may be conspiracies, but, you know, African-Americans being a little bit of shy about getting a COVID shot, you can understand why, because yeah. of the history. You can understand why, you know, we're, we're unlikely to want shots. We're unlikely to give our blood. We're unlikely to do a lot of things uh, 
to go to a hospital. There's not a lot of black people who want to go to the hospital, especially black men. That's you know, right. black men, we definitely are more advocates about not going to the doctor, not going to the hospital. It's not because we know think something can be wrong with us. It's just that trust issue. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. We'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Go to YouTube, type in My Unapologetic Perspective, hit the subscribe button, go to TikTok, type in Martre underscore S, hit the follow button, go to Facebook, type in My Unapologetic Perspective, hit the like button. I have uh, a question before we move on. So we had spoke about uh, Dr. Sebi. Um, and one of Nipsey's famous quotes is, they killed Dr. Sebi because he was teaching help. Um, as you stated, Dr. Sebi didn't have a degree Mm -mm. but it's proven that everything he was saying works Mm -hmm. now dr fauci got on tv and said hey wear your mask yeah came back and told us the mask don't work why do we why is it okay for no why is it not okay to believe somebody that says they're a doctor everything that they say is proven to work but you don't take their word for it because they don't have what you deem to to make them a doctor. That that certificate, that going to school, those like you said, we pass down these home remedies. It's it's a hierarchy. So even if you look at the medical field, um, you being a person that worked out, you know, for the past thirty years, right? You you ask somebody, what's the best way for me to do my chest workout? That's right. And then you go ask somebody else, they'd be like, nah, don't do high reps, do low reps. That's right. Like there's there's different ways of doing things. And some even some doctors, especially with the COVID situation, some people were saying mass, some people were saying no mass, some people were saying mass sometimes. Some every doctor it isn't exact science sometimes with some things. And Dr. Sebi's case, some of the things that he was talking about just really wasn't for everybody. Right. As we know here in America, like we talked about earlier. That our bodies, African bodies, are a lot different. This is why we have high blood pressure. This is why we have diabetes. This is why we are subject to um, prostate cancer, colon cancer, more than anybody else. Our bodies are a lot different than 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 white people's. You know what I mean? So a lot of his concepts was just. For black people, you talked about it before with me with uh, the BMI. When you go in there, they're talking about a white male when they give you a BMI. But when you look at it from an African-American perspective, that there's just certain things that we are more prone to and some things that they are less prone to that have to be taken into consideration. And some doctors won't tell you that. And that's why we have a a hard time trusting just... um, white doctors me personally i'm like that when it comes to blood pressure because if you go to a doctor and your blood pressure is somewhere they're going to just prescribe you blood pressure medicine Mm -hmm. nobody's going to tell you what not to eat they're not going to tell you stop cooking the pork chops they're not going to tell you these things it's going to keep putting you on blood pressure medicine to fix the problem but when you're an african-american doctor he's going to tell you hey look make make sure you lay off the pork chops right you know what i'm saying make sure you start walking at least once a day. Make sure you're doing these type of things because we understand in the African-American community that like we talked about in this podcast before, that your health goes a lot to your family priors. So when you look at the health history of most people, black doctors especially can correlate even better that this has been a thing that come from your family generation to generation to generation. And a lot of white doctors won't accept that hierarchy to say, oh, he's not qualified because I went to Yale, he went to Howard. You know, I went to Princeton. He don't have a medical degree. I learned all these things, but it depends on who you ask. Um, I'm going to get to something here in a second. Matter of fact, I'm going to get to it real quick before I let you go. The Nation of Islam, uh, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, and those brothers and sisters, they were doing such a great job with um, curing addicts, right? To where the New York hospital, the Harlem hospital, called Malcolm X and said, hey, can you meet with us and tell us how y'all doing this? Because y'all have such a high successful rate of curing heroin addicts that we need to know what what it is that you're doing. And Malcolm, he said, the only thing that we're doing is we're letting them know why they're using drugs because you're not comfortable with being a black man. We're letting you know how you can get off the drugs and 
and, and first come to admit that you have a drug problem. And then we're going to give you a new identity to be proud to be black, to be proud of who you are, to be proud of where you come from. It's going to make you get off the drugs. And then once you do that, you'll be free. And then once you're free, you help somebody else. He said, that's basically all that we do in the nation of Islam on curing addicts. And you look, Malcolm X was one of them. He was somebody that used drugs that got cured because they gave him a new identity. Are you going to read that in the doctor's book when no. you go to college? No. No. You know, I talk about this all the time is what I was telling you is that most of the things that's considered a standard or average or normal for human beings was based on the average white American, right? Or white male. So for if you put that in proper perspective, who is the furthest from that would be a black woman, right? right? Or woman of color would be the furthest from that. But for, I'll use myself as an example. Um, most black males are going to suffer from hypertension, which obviously leads to high blood pressure. That's right. My blood pressure, for the people that are actually in the medical field, when you hear this, this is going to blow you away. My blood pressure is usually about 190 over 110. In that's, most cases, that's going to put you in the hospital. That's no medication, right? No medication mm -hmm. that's at a, all. That's about what mine runs with and no medication. I did a whole study where they were trying to come up with a medication that would lower my blood pressure. When they got my blood pressure down to where they thought it was close to normal, I was basically in a coma. <laughs> and it was still high. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I am a person whose standard is higher than what they recommend for a healthy individual. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm yet no blood pressure medicine they ever gave me has gotten my blood pressure down to where they gave the thumbs up to give me a long-term prescription. Mm -hmm. Nothing works. Simple. And they deem me a medical mystery. And that's just one aspect. I go on and on about sinuses and asthma and, and all this that they have no clue to tell me what will work. Right. So this is common for black Americans. So when we talk about black males not wanting to go to the doctor, mm -hmm. it's the fear of all those things that you mentioned, but it's also... To tell me what? What I already know? Yeah. <laughs> to tell me that I got high blood pressure and there's nothing you can do for me? Yeah. And I got to pay you to tell me that when I already know that, right. right? So now, I'm not telling anybody that if you have high blood pressure, just accept it. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that. What Baker said earlier is true. Every individual is different. We are different than white Americans, but I'm different than you. Mm -hmm. I'm different than you. We're all different in the way that our bodies work and react. Mm -hmm. So they can give me the same medication they give you for your high blood pressure and it works for you and it doesn't work for me. We're all different. You have to find out what works for you. So for all those people that go around saying, hey, Jerome, you got to drink water. I don't drink water, but I can run 10 miles, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't drink water. Right. Mm -hmm. Water doesn't work for me. And people say, well, that's not healthy. OK, I'm just saying I'm 53 years old. I'm in the best shape of my life. We're close to it. And I don't drink water mm -hmm. and I have high blood pressure, mm -hmm. right? So I just ask people that when we talk about the medical science, it is a science, which means it's not exact. Yeah. Find out what works for you. Find you a physician that you trust. Yeah. That's the key word, trust. Because mm -hmm. as you say, you go to three different doctors, they may tell you three different things. Yeah. You have to find a private care physician that you trust mm -hmm. that will that, that's going to care about you. Mm -hmm. So obviously I have a cousin who has a theory and then sometimes I think the same thing. I'm not going to lie. If, if a doctor makes money off of you being sick, why do I want to cure you? Mm -hmm. And I know people say that's crazy, but can you tell me why? Right. And you can say, because they took an oath. Okay. What was the doctor's name? Conway. I told this roof that yeah. the doctor Conway yeah. married. It's about money. Yeah. They don't care about the damn oath, man. It's about money. That's why they schedule. We're going to do a follow-up visit. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll put you on this And it just gets longer and longer because oh, now way, before yeah. you can go to a specialist, you got to be you got to be referred. Yeah. It's a money cycle, man. There's more profit for them yes. to treat you. So, but I'm not trying to discourage people from believing in the system. But you have to find a point of contact, which is going to start with your private care physician mm -hmm. that you trust. And it's going to take you to build that relationship. Yeah. You got to build a relationship with that doctor, and which is why so many people get heartbroken when their doctor retires, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if you're my age and you had the same doctor for 20 years, he was 80 years old by the time you, <laughs> you know, by the time yeah. he retired, right? So you got to, you got to, you got to build that relationship with a, with a doctor because it is important. And I think that's why it's more important that black people are in the medical field because I give you, uh, I like I use myself as an example. I went to get my eyes checked and my cousin just happened to work there 
and she checked my blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Shaquan, you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. She was like, your blood pressure is almost in 200s. And she was like, I know you don't want to go to the doctor, but you need to go get that checked. She said, because such and such just died from the same thing, and she said she felt fine. Now, I took that better coming from her because she's black than I would have took it coming from a white nurse. Right. It's more empathy there. Right. You, you feel like it's more empathy. Right. You feel like there's more of a connection there. And even, even with our aunt who is over top of the doctors at the doctor's office, if I tell her that my blood pressure is running a little high, She'll pull out her phone and say, I'm going to book you an appointment mm-hmm. at, at the at the doctor's office. And that's what we need as black people. We need more black people in the medical field. Mm-hmm. We, we feel like they understand. Well, one, we feel like they care. Yeah, Two, yeah, yeah. We feel like they understand. I mean, even on the even on the, the mental health side. Mm-hmm. Right. So whenever I when, whenever I, I do have a doctor, I usually try to get a, a black doctor, um, one that I think can empathize. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than than a white doctor, and not saying that the white doctor can't do the same. Right. I'm just saying I don't know that they can connect um, with me as much as a black doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about things that bother us, subconsciously or consciously, because most of the things that we suffer through in mental health are subconscious things yeah. that you don't even know you're thinking about, but it's your experiences, or more importantly, the way you process experiences, whether whether they're yours, your experiences or someone else's, mm-hmm. sort of like we just talked about the shooting in Texas. Mm-hmm. It's the way we process that information, the way we internalize it. And then obviously the way we feel about it, because that's what depression is more about. Not what you think, but how you feel about what you think. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes when you talk to a black doctor, they can they can empathize. They can they, they have empathy for you right. because they, they, understand. they understand. They understand. Yeah. That's important. That connection is important. So. Um, that's why the one of you talked about at the beginning, why it's important to have blacks in the medical field is so that we feel comfortable, black males going to these facilities, having people tell us things that we already know, because we feel like that they're going to affirm mm-hmm. what we already know, but they care. So they're going to come up with some good options for you. And that's why it's important to have male nurses as well that's right because it's a lot of times you have a a woman nurse whether it's white or black you don't feel comfortable telling her everything that you may be dealing with facing with or feeling you don't feel comfortable telling her yeah and male nurses is not degrading i don't know why in society it's looked at it that way you know same you have women doctors and you can have male nurses i don't understand why we still have that correlation as that being a problem and i I think it's i think that's starting to decrease rapidly now i think you have a lot more um i I know when when i go to the doctor there's a lot more male nurses right not just cnas but actually male nurses i'm be i feel more i feel more comfortable like if it's a male like i feel like especially if it's a black male nurse i feel like you coming in ask because one thing you want to do as a nurse you want to, I guess, calm your patient down, mm-hmm. right? Because the reason you're there for a reason, whether that is mm-hmm. a high scary reason, low scary reason, right. mid scary, whatever the case may be, whatever the tolerance of scariness you want to talk about. But that initial face-to-face interaction with the nurse may be able to deteriorate some of the, the fears that you may have right. before you see the doctor. That's right. So, and that's important to have. And, and it's a known thing is when you go to when I go to the doctor, I go to the doctor once every five, six years, right? So when you go, they know, huh? You've been since two thousand eight. Right. That's a problem for us too. That's <laughs> so, a problem for so us too. So they know immediately yeah. they got to make some type of connection with you so we can get you in more yeah. often, right? So yeah, they they send in the closer. Right, they send in the black yeah. guy. They send in the closer. Yeah. Somebody that can convince you that you need to bring your ass in there a lot right. more. Yeah. Right? So, uh, yeah, we, what we do, though, because we need to be getting our yearly checkups. We need to be doing all this stuff to, to make sure that we're on the same because we that's the reason why, because we're we're ranked last in catching things that's right. like not, not like actually catching disease, but catching that we actually have a disease. That's right. Because we're less likely to go to the doctor. And, and it's not just because of fear. Most of the time it's because we're less likely to have health insurance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's true. That's true. That's too, the other yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I know the University of Virginia did some studies a while ago, and a lot of white doctors that they've talked about um, hospitals, they they go by this, that African-Americans are more 
prone where we can handle more, we can tolerate more pain. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> so we are less likely to get prescribed the medicine that we need, especially when you talk about things that, that deal with pain relief. That's right. Because they feel like we can handle the pain more than anybody else. All those qualities are the things that made us great slaves, right? We can tolerate more pain. Um, we we retain water. Yeah. So that means we can we can work in the in the hot sun and sweat more than mm -hmm. than any other race. Yeah. It made us great slaves. Our, our, our the builds of our bodies. We're just strong. We're faster. Um, we we can put on muscle mass yeah. a lot faster. That's why you um, see when you see a lot of pictures back in the day of that people may have you know drew that what slaves would look like. The men is always big and, mm -hmm. and muscular. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, you know, we are more likely. It, it, some studies show that we are more likely to feel comfortable with a black doctor. There's studies that show that white people feel more comfortable with a black nurse because yeah. they actually feel like the black nurse would, again, like you talked about it. We're just we just have such big hearts. Huh? Right. You know, yeah. we, we're just such caring, and loving people. Um, we're honest people too. So to where they actually would like to see more black nurses and black doctors um, because they would have that connection, but. You know, um, black doctors are more likely to practice in their own communities because if you practice at another community, we know what the cost may be That's right. versus if I start my own practice right here. That again, it ain't about the money. That's right. Some mm -hmm. doctors is about the money. Some doctors is actually about the health care. Right. So if I put this into my own community where it's predominantly black, where I know some people might have Medicaid because we know some places don't even accept Medicaid. That's right. You know what I mean? So uh, I understand that having these people at good health because their insurance may not cover it or those other things is, is important to have. Um, quick stat is 4.2 million nurses in America, 279,000 are black. Mm -hmm. That's only 11%. Only 11. Only 11. Are we, are we going to talk anything about EMS? Go ahead. Uh, I think we'd be remiss. And we we mentioned this on Yeah, we mentioned before, podcast, but go ahead. But the Freedom House mm -hmm. in, in uh, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. um, was the the first institution that actually developed the concept of what we call today EMS, which back then, prior to this, um, you were, if you had a medical emergency, you were shoved into a hearse or a police car um, a station wagon and mm -hmm. there was no attention. They just drove mm -hmm. you to the hospital, you know? So, uh, this freedom house decided that the best practice was to get medical attention to that individual, even prior to getting them to the hospital. So you had a mobile unit that would provide you with medical assistance before getting you to the hospital, mm -hmm. which was huge. And they serviced the area in Pennsylvania for, um, in the, in the early seventies, um, to the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and of course, because they, they got so popular, um, white America said we can't have it. So they incorporated that EMS system into other EMT offices, medical, um, first responders and stole the, took the concept, mm -hmm. but disbanded them from from the practice history mm -hmm. of america yeah absolutely but I, I thought that was critical but more so when we talk about the ems is the first responders and having when they come into your neighborhood again having someone that understands your situation understanding because first of all it's difficult to get white america to come into a a a black neighborhood can you imagine and this has happened it's documented cabrini green Mm -hmm. um, you have a medical emergency in Cabrini Green. Um, in order for EMS workers to feel safe to go in, they would have to wait for law enforcement yeah. to go in. Mm -hmm. Where when they had black EMS, they didn't have to wait. For, we're going in. Yeah. Half of them lived there. So they, they would go in would not wait. I had a friend who died in uh, Berry Farms in Washington, D.C., if you guys are familiar with Berry Farms, which is a um, predominantly black community, low-income housing a lot of the same problems that you deal with in like Cabrini Green during the time. Mm -hmm. But um, he had a medical emergency. And um, when the EMS workers arrived, they came from, they were white and they were afraid to go in. So they delayed until police officers came. Well, again, 
because police only come to those neighborhoods when somebody's being arrested mm-hmm. um, or they come in gangs when somebody's been shot or hurt. So they police officers had to wait until they got enough police officers to actually go in. So by the time they actually went in the tent, tent to him, he had passed away, which he would have probably survived that they would have got to him sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the kind of perils that we deal with even in the black community today when it comes to EMS um, workers. The discrimination is not just environmental, as we mm-hmm. talked about before, mm-hmm. but it, it extends far beyond that. Um, so for the people that still think, think that this does not exist, this, uh, his name was Edward Gibbons. And uh, this, this wasn't 10 years ago that this happened. You know, so um, I, I think it's important that we understand that in order to overcome this, it can't be a few. It mm-hmm. has to be a majority of the people. Not, I don't really care if you understand it. I'm just saying that you have to accept that it exists. Yeah. If you accept that it exists, then at least you won't be in the way yeah. of, of, progress, of, of progress. So right now, the people that are in the way are the people who don't believe that it exists. Mm-hmm. So we have to, everybody has to get on board as showing America that this exists. And that's what we're trying to do. Bacon, I want to read something similar to what you just touched on. Uh, it says, Kevin Wake called 911 as he realized he was beginning to have a stroke. By the time the ambulance arrived, he was unable to speak or use his right side. He was conscious and could hear and see everything, but couldn't respond. The EMTs presented Kevin to the emergency room as they suspected overdose based on just one observed fact. He was a black man in Chicago. They didn't know he had called 911 or that he had said that he had a stroke to the operator. They didn't know he was successful. He was a successful pharmaceutical sales representative. He says he could hear their emergency room staff discuss his non-existent uh, overdose. He became so angry in the middle of a stroke. He became so angry that in a miraculous burst of strength, he finally managed to signal for a pen with his left hand. Kevin scratched down three words that saved his life. Sickle cell stroke. Mm. You know, um, I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. I lost that's, that's powerful. Yeah. Sad, but powerful. Oh, uh, I was reading, when I was doing some research, it was a, a black doctor that did an article on why we need more black doctors. And he was talking about how he went to um, get a checkup on, on some things, uh, went to the hospital or doctor's office, and it was a white doctor that came in, and he didn't tell him who he was, didn't tell him that he was a doctor also, but... You know, he started telling about all these problems that he's having. He said that the white doctor began to dismiss him as if you're not probably these aren't something things that you're having or these aren't some things that we really should look into. And he said he started using more medical terms. He started breaking the things down. He said once he started doing that, the doctor became a little bit more receptive to what he was saying because he realized that. He's done his either he's done his research or he knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this on a podcast before that if you get pulled over by a police officer and the first thing you say is, I know my rights and you don't state what those rights is. They have no way of saying that you actually know mm-hmm. what they can and they can't do. Right. right. So when it comes to a lot of doctors, if you don't understand certain things then some of these doctors will just write you off mm-hmm. because especially if you look at the hospitals nowadays, I mean, you they're so staff short just like everybody else. Doctors are running around, running around, running around, trying to get everybody in, trying to get everybody out. And you're dealing, especially in an emergency room, when you talk about those aspects, because we know things move like clockwork, especially right. in bigger cities. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just going around and you're going around, you're playing Russian roulette with information, trying to get people out of there. So a lot of times you have to be firm and clear about what it is, why you're there, because a lot of these white doctors aren't going to take you seriously. That's why a lot of people refer a lot of black doctors if you're black. And it's not a race thing. It's a comfortable thing. When you look at America in general, it's just the thought of being comfortable. Let's be honest. A lot of people don't feel comfortable with a foreign doctor, you know, that can barely speak English. There's nothing against him. It's just, I don't think you understand fully what I'm going through or we can communicate to each other on a level to where we can be able to fix this. 
Yeah, I think it's key even just the, the, the about foreign doctors is that the level of communication is somewhat different that I may not fully understand you, which means in my opinion, you don't fully you don't understand, fully understand yeah. me. Um, that's just in, in the in the language barrier. That's, not a, that's a culture thing. That's, that's a, a culture, culture thing. thing. Yeah. And then, you know, Denzel Washington talk about it all the time. It's not always about race. Sometimes it's about culture. Yeah. And and, and I think that's that's key in, in the medical field, not just from from the from the dynamic of the language barrier, but also in the fact that most of what doctors are able to ascertain from the very beginning is depending upon symptoms and information. Yeah. So if there's no symptoms, then I'm going 100% on what you tell me. Mm -hmm. And if you can't articulate that in a manner that I can put to some type of science or medical precedence, mm -hmm. what do you want me to do? Yeah. So it's important that you're able to um, communicate what it is that's going on with you. Because yeah. otherwise, they're only going to they treat you based on the information you provide. Uh, I got a quick story real quick before we go to a break. And mom, sorry, but... Uh, <laughs> I want to smoke oh you too. I wanted to play hooky one time and um my ear was bleeding from when I got um when I got it pierced. So I took the blood from my ear and put it in specs on the tissues and told Ma I was coughing up blood. <laughs> and she took me to the hospital. The doctor said that uh I could have bronchitis. And in my head, I ain't got no damn bronchitis. <laughs> this is from my ear. Ain't nothing wrong with me, folks. <laughs> but like you said, it's based on the information. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna take a quick rush. We'll be right back. And we are back. Um, we're gonna wrap this up. Um, but the reason why I wanted to do this episode was because I was just looking at some things. My wife is, of course, in the nursing field and working at the jail, I, you know, there's nurses there and, you know, you see all the time that black women that work in nursing homes or work at doctor's offices or work in the hospital, you know, they're always got the shrugs on. And I, I never really understood the difference between CNAs, LPNs and RNs. I never really understood the difference in it. And then uh, one day at work a few, uh, about a month ago, uh, somebody had called for the nurse to come handle some in the unit and the nurse got on the other nurse got on the uh, radio and said that nurse is not an RN she can't minister medicine or something like that you need to call one of us and I'm like she a nurse ain't she she can't <laughs> like the hell is the difference like so you know um just doing some research you know it's it talked about you know that 53 percent of CNAs are, are people of color and 75% of RNs are white. And you could just look at the, the difference in pay, the difference in schooling, the difference in treatment and, and, and respect um, from there. And LPNs, I, I don't know the, the difference in that, but like you said earlier, a lot of it has to do with education. Mm -hmm. And if you get a single mother who got to work you know, 12 hour shifts, you know, she don't have time to, to do additional classes or right. the funding to do additional classes. And my wife, I asked my wife about it and she was like, it depends on, you know, what, you know, college or wherever you want to get your education. She's like some places is higher than others. And, you know, a lot of people just can't afford it. They can't afford it. And the, the amount of time that it takes. So, of course, CNA is just a course you take. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's four weeks or yeah. I don't know what the time span is for that. But LPN, you got to go to college yeah. for a couple years at least. And then RN is an extended period after LPN. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking four, five, six years, possibly, depending on whether you're able to take all your classes at one time, mm -hmm. depends on where you are in your life. Yeah. You know, if you got kids, by the time you decide you want to do this, it's going to be a little more difficult, take a little longer. Mm -hmm. um, which is why most people usually stop at the LPN level mm -hmm. is because either they don't have the finances to be able to, to go to school for a few more years um, or, or they, their life structure just doesn't allow them the time. Or it may just be, be comfortable. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm just, I'm just saying that yeah. like, not that I know, I just see that a lot in, in law enforcement, um, field that a lot of black people are just, we just like to be, we just like happy to be where we at. Yeah. I, I, mean, I ain't trying to be nobody's boss, man. I'm just trying to come in and do That's my right. work and go home. So a lot of it is a culture problem too, of, of just us just being content. Yeah. But you, you know, 
with the nurses out there, we need more RNs. We need more LPNs. Like we need that. We need more of our, our kind in those areas to be able to, to help us during those situations. You know, like if you got a, a RN, which my, um, I believe my mother-in-law is, you know, those are people you can call before you go to the doctor to say, Hey, look, these are the type of problems I'm having these type of things. If you have those in your family, you know, you stand a better chance of understanding and what, what the, the problems that you're, you're having. You could out laugh because you typically can call any black woman in there. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, right now I can call, I call anybody in my family and tell them that, you know, my sinuses are acting they up and they, oh, yeah. they tell me exactly what to take. Oh, all you got to do is do this. That's a rope test and all that. And if yeah. this don't work, then go to the emergency room. Yeah. That's what yeah, I had that about five years ago. That's what I did. Chew, but, chew this elderberry yeah. right here. Chew it like gum. But that's chew why, <laughs> that's why us being in the medical field is important. Yeah. We also need more uh, black dietitians. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're starting to see more people try to change their lifestyle, their health. Um, but a lot of times we wait until something happens. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, absolutely. You know, we wait until we're at that point where the doctor was like, all right, listen, you're at that point to where you're going to, you're going to be hospitalized. You're going to be crippled. You're going to, you know, your, your lifespan is decreasing. Right. We wait till all of that happened before we actually start to change our diet. It's, and you said something. Uh, a while ago and it stuck with me. You said, if you look, if you go to these sporting events uh, where kids are playing and you look at the grandparents of the white people, they come in, they running down the sideline with the kids. They 80 years old. They walking in um, healthy as can be. And then you look at the grandparents of the black kids they got to be helped up on to the bleachers. They walking with a cane, yeah. or or they can't come at all because they, it's, it's too long the car, of a walk. From the car, because yeah. like, you guys talking about grandparents. I remember, parents. I remember at your graduation, I I saw some of the parents, mm-hmm. and um, I remember somebody said, "Is is that his grandmother or grandfather?" I said, "No, that's his mom and dad." Yeah, you know, so um, it's, it's not even getting to the grandparent level, at least for, for, for yeah. us. Yeah. It, it's happening a lot sooner. Um, and it's, and we can talk about the different foods and the convenience, um, and, and the, 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 the cost of those foods that are unhealthy for people that people eat and they don't eat it in moderation, of course, and there's no exercise. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, and when we talk about, when we talk about exercise, we're not just talking about physical exercise people. Um, some of you got to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we need to exercise that brain, and we're hoping that watching a podcast is helping those that can't necessarily sit down and read a book because a lot of people can't. Mm-hmm. You know, they sit down try to read a book, they get distracted, they fall asleep, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you've got to exercise your mind, and we're hoping that you guys are doing that through this podcast. That you're thinking about the things we're talking about and doing some research, and hopefully interjecting your own ideas, mm-hmm. even if it's just to yourself. Yeah. But you're interjecting your own ideas about what you believe and think, because I think that's important. That's right. the running joke that white people age like bananas, but uh, black people's health age like bananas, because yeah. we don't take care of yeah, it. We, we, I know we love our soul food, we love those type of things, but you just have to find healthier options. If, you, if you're going to eat that way, you have to find some type of exercise. If you're not going to exercise, then you have to eat healthy. Like you have to find some, mm-hmm. some type of in-between to say, at least I'm taking care of myself to where I feel comfortable and I feel healthy enough to be able to do things, to be able to be there for people, to be able to, to, to live my life. I mean, That's right. I don't know. Homework assignment for everybody watching this. I want you to Google people older than 90. And I want you to see if you see a lot of people that are overweight, mm-hmm. yeah, or even muscular. Yeah, you you won't, you 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 won't, you you won't see that. That's one of the, one of the things Bake said about being vegan is because you know a lot of people look at Bake and you know he telling me he went vegan. They see he cut now and mm-hmm. they think oh I can do that quick, but he said never mind all of that. It's about how I feel. Man. Yeah, he feels better. I I can't like I literally can't keep certain stuff down. Like I try to. Like, I can't do high amounts of sugar. Like, I can't do it. I can taste it. Um, the other day, I, I ran out of sugar-free barbecue sauce, and I used regular barbecue sauce. And I threw right up right after I finished eating. I can't take that much sugar. I can't take that much salt. It's because not because of the way my body was made. It's because of the way I structured my body. Mm-hmm. 
So I took out those high amounts <laughs> for a year and a half to now my body is refusing to take that in. Mm-hmm. So my, my blood pressure, like I went and got my blood pressure checked the other day by the nurse and she said, your blood pressure is perfect. Your sugar level is perfect. I've never heard nobody tell me my blood pressure, my sugar was perfect. You know what I mean? Cool. So, but that's just taking in things into my body. Like food isn't about taste for me. You know what I mean? Like I'm at the point now where it's not about taste. I'm eating this because I need it in my body. Mm-hmm. I mean lentils because I need this for my body. You know what I mean? And that's essentially what we got to do sometimes. Like you can't, everything can't be about taste. Everything can't be about convenience. There's something like your health, your wealth, all of that has to be more convenient for you. It has to be a priority for you. Absolutely. Um, but we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. Peace.